Uh, yeah, I already see. Last week, uh, we had our, our Christmas uh, program, and I appreciate everybody that was involved in that. Uh, that was a great time. Thank you for, I guess, a lot of them are back there singing, but a lot of you guys were participating, whether moving things or helping. Uh, it was a great time. It was, it was a, good, a good beginning to what we had going on. But prior to that, I taught a lesson on Satan's battle plan to take you out for 2019. And one of Satan's battle plans is to keep you out of the Bible, to keep you from reading the Bible. And I talked about three specific reasons. Satan wants to keep you out the Bible. Number one was Satan knows that the word of God is capable of changing a Christian's life. He knows the Bible is capable of making you something that you weren't. Whether you come from a family that was abusive or lack of affection or whatever it may be, once you become a Christian, you are a new creation. So no longer is it, that's how my family is. No, no, no. You are a new creation. You start new. You break those chains that tied you up for so many years. And now the Bible is setting you free. So Satan wants to keep you out the Bible so you won't break those chains and you'll still be trapped in sin. The second reason Satan wants to keep you out of the Bible is that he knows the word of God builds your faith. Your faith comes. The Bible even says that faith comes from hearing the word of God. And so if you're not in the Bible, your faith won't grow. So Satan wants to keep you out because he doesn't want your life to change and he doesn't want your faith to grow. And then thirdly, Satan knows the word of God renews your mind. He knows he renews your mind. What Satan wants is for people to get into God's church but keep a worldly mindset. That way he makes the church worldly. And so he knows if you're not in the Bible, then your mind is not going to be a spiritually focused mind. So that's part A of Satan's battle plan against you. Now I want to talk about part B of his battle plan. Now, I know many people are making New Year's resolutions and doing different things. That's fine. Nothing against that. I think that's great. But let me add something to this here, because it's not just a resolution. I think this needs to be a character, a spiritual thing that we focus on. The second part of Satan's battle plan, again, part A, to keep you out of the Bible. Part B is to keep you from praying. Keep you off your knees in prayer. If Satan can keep you from praying, he has you where he wants you to be. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us to pray about everything. Why? Because it says, you know what, once you do that, then the peace of God will guard your hearts. See, Satan does not want you to have peace in your life. So what does he do? He tries to get you to not pray. So you won't have peace in your life. Ephesians chapter 6, right before Philippians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. 
and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. You know, he says with all kinds of prayers in all occasions, we need to be praying to God and also pray for the saints. In other words, your brothers and sisters, the other people that are in the battle with you, the other people that are in the fight, other people that are in the body of Christ, whether they're here, whether they're in Alaska, whether they're in Moscow, wherever they are, pray for the saints, he says. Now, two important things God has given his church. Number one is the Bible. He's given us the Bible because it gives us clear instruction on how to be righteous. Number two, he's given us the privilege of prayer because this will lift our knees to the throne of God and receive answers. The Bible and prayer go hand in hand. Point number one I want to give us today. And I have a couple of points, but it all depends on how y'all act. Because it can go from two points to four points real quick. I work discipleship. Two to four and maybe eight. I don't know. But you participate, we'll come down. That was so fake. Come on now. (laughs) Point number one. The Bible and prayer are linked together. The Bible and prayer are linked together. Satan does not want us to be students of the word or to practice prayer on a regular basis. Why? How is the Bible and prayer linked together? Let me give you three examples of how. In the Bible, God is speaking to us. When we pray, we speak to God. Now, Satan wants this to be a one-sided relationship. He doesn't want, he wants to block that communication. He wants it to be a one-sided relationship. You know, those don't feel very good. I remember in school, there was this girl that I liked, and she didn't even know who I was. But in my mind, we had a relationship. We were in love with each other. And I remember going up to her one day, and I said, hi. She said, hi, what's your name? And I thought, wait a minute. You don't even know my name. How many times is that really like so-called Christians today? We say we have a relationship with God, but it's not a back-and-forth relationship. We may read, but we don't talk to him. Or we may talk to him, but we don't read. A relationship is when both parties are communicating. See, that's the difference. You can be a churchgoer, or you can have a relationship with God. A churchgoer goes to church. A person with a relationship with God reads, prays, involved, is connected with God. See, this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to disrupt that communication, make it a one-sided relationship. Because that person in that one-sided relationship does not feel good. And that's what Satan wants God to feel like. To not feel good, not to be happy with who we are. Secondly, it's linked together because God's promises in the Bible are there to help us have a successful life. Our prayers, those promised things from the Bible, our prayers make those things come alive in our life. God promises things to us. Thus, if we pray through these promises, those things will happen in our life. 
The third thing Satan realizes is Satan fights against our pursuing Bible knowledge. Again, Satan does not want you to be more biblically sound. He wants you to kind of stay very surfacy in your Bible knowledge. Just know a few things here and there. He doesn't want you to be a deeper kind of person. He wants you to be that, that soft person that's distilled on milk and not solid food. That's why the Bible teaches us what to pray, when to pray, how to pray, and who to pray to. Because the Bible is trying to help us get deep and not stay on the surface. Satan's simple strategy concerning our prayer life is to keep us out of the word of God. Then it's highly likely that we'll stay off of our knees in prayer. You got to ask yourself, when you pray, do you ever actually get on your knees in prayer? Are we sitting in a chair? Are we sitting in the car? Sitting on our beds? Do we still actually kneel in prayer? If you don't kneel here on earth, how are you going to kneel before the throne of God? One way or another, every knee shall bow and say, Jesus is Lord. Guys, some of us, we need to, I'm not saying every single prayer has to be on your knees. you got to filter some of what I'm saying to us here. But if that's not something we're even accustomed to, even think about, there's a problem. See, Satan reasons that the believer who doesn't use the word of God as a basis for praying probably won't get their prayers answered. If you don't use the Bible to help you see how and what I need to pray about, then your prayers probably won't be guided by God's spirit, thus not answered. Look at what it says in James chapter 1, verse 6. James 1, verse 6. But when we ask, we must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. God's promises in the Bible, that's God's will for our lives. We have to understand that. Sometimes we're like, well, what's God's will? I don't know what God's will is. Read, and whatever he promises you is his will. Let me make this more clear. If your kid comes up and says, can we go to Coney Island? And you says, you say, you says, look at that, proper grammar. I got a little Ebonics in me too, don't worry about it. And you say, we can't go right now, but I promise you, I'll take you next week. That child is going to nag you every day because you promised them. Thus, they're going to keep coming back and remind you, you promised me. It's Thursday. We haven't gone yet. You promise. It's Friday. We haven't gone yet. You promise. Wake up. It's Saturday. It's still the week. You promise. They're going to nag you because you promised. Am I right? If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, right? Now, God promises us. How much more should we go to God? God, you promised us. How much more should we not talk to God? God, because that child believes once that parent promises it, that's that parent's will for that child's life. So once God promises you something, that's God's will for your life. 
It's that simple. And Satan knows this, so if he can keep you from knowing the Bible and praying biblical prayers, God won't fulfill those things in your life. Secondly, I know there's a whole bunch of little points, but point number two. Big point number two. God gives us advice about praying. There are several things the prayer verses we looked at in Philippians 4 and Ephesians 6 tells us. It says we're told to pray on all occasions, pray with thanksgiving, with all kind of prayers, to pray at all times, pray in the spirit, persevere in our prayers, and we're told to intercede or petition on behalf of others in our prayers. There's a whole lot of different ways the Bible tells us to pray. Now, we could go through all seven of these, but I just want to focus, for time's sake, on what it says in Ephesians 6, 18. All kinds of prayers. Have you ever really thought about the many kinds of prayers there are? There are so many different kinds of prayers because people are at different places in life. You know, I can look at Lynette, and they over there, and just praying they have a, a healthy baby, boy or girl. Corey saying boy, the Lord may say girl. But then you have a baby, and you're just like, thank you for the baby, help it to grow up to be strong. Then your prayers change to help me get out the terrible twos. Then your prayers change to help them middle school find who they are. Then they become teenagers, and then you're praying just not to go to jail. And then there's all kind of prayers. You pray that they have, you find the right person for them to marry. And then you pray that they get married and move out the house. And then you pray that they come back and visit you sometimes. It's all kind of prayers at all different stages in life. There's prayers of repentance. There's prayers of thanksgiving. There's prayers of worship. Prayers of intercession. There's prayers of personal petition, begging God. Most of us are familiar with the phrase, practice makes perfect. That's the same thing about your prayer life. The more you pray, the better you're going to get in your prayer conversations. It's just about having the heart to say, I have to be with God. I have to talk to God. You know, if you took the cell phones from every teenager and college student in the world for one week, did you know how eager and desperate they would be when they get that phone back to communicate? I mean, if we could actually text God, every, every, every team would be a Christian in the world. Because they'd be texting all the time. You're talking about the communication they would literally have with God? Incredible. So let me ask you this. Do we have that same kind of desire to pray to God? Campus, teens. If you didn't have your phone for a week, that desire you have, is that the same desire you have just to pray and talk with God now, today? See, God works in wonderful ways on behalf of his children who trust in him. Point number three. Prayer brings joy and healing. It brings joy and healing. One reason why so many Christians suffer discouragement and depression because they don't have a consistent prayer life. Now, I'm not trying to belittle depression. I know that's serious. I'm not trying to belittle that by any means, so don't take this wrong. But a lot of times, 
most of us don't pray unless there's a crisis situation. Unless you're having a hard time in life. And then you wonder, why do I keep having so many hard times? Because that's the only way God can get you to talk to him. So he keeps you going through hard situations just so you will talk to him and have communication. Prayer is powerful. But there are some people that don't pray until they feel convicted or guilty about something. You know, have you ever thought about how incredible prayer really is? To consider its reaching effects to go different places. You know, I've discovered that prayer not only affects my life, but it affects the life of people around me. When I have a good, solid prayer life, my household does so much better. It does. And it's not about all y'all got to change in my house. It's about me just getting closer to God. And it just seems like my whole household is just different all of a sudden. Think about what praying for other people can actually do. It can bring blessings to them, encouragement to them. It can change their situations and circumstances in life. It can protect them from danger. How many times do we pray for our kids and our family members, keep them safe, keep them healthy? You realize, do you believe your prayers can help somebody in Moscow, Russia? You believe your prayers can help the disciples in Alaska? What about in Savannah, Georgia? So let me ask you this. Do you have that same belief that your prayers can help that person sitting next to you? Because sometimes we believe it can reach way out there, but then when we look right next to us here at home, our faith kind of dwindles a little bit. But it shouldn't. It should increase so much more because not only can I pray for you, but I can talk and encourage you as well. I can use what God's given me to lift you up. God has said, listen, your prayers affect those around you. And just as powerful as it is to go across the continent, it's just as powerful for the person sitting next to you. Look to the person to your left and right. Just get a look at them real quick. Now, you need to, now you need to just mentally say, you ain't got to tell them because I don't want nobody lying in church. But just tell them. I'm going to pray in your head. I'm going to pray for you. If you want to tell them, tell them, but don't lie in church. Don't say I'm going to pray for you and then you don't do it. Now, let me say this. Bring it back home. Bring it back home. I can't let y'all go too far. Y'all be running with everything. Bring it back home. The devil is fully aware how powerful your prayers are. And he doesn't like it. That's why he doesn't want you to pray. Because he knows how powerful your prayers are. But Satan would be happy, as happy as the devil could be, if every Christian lived and learned to function without prayer in their life. If he can get us to not pray at all, he would be as happy as the devil could be. He's aware that a prayerless life never will lead to a spirit-guided life. You know, apart from the word of God, nothing is more vital to our spiritual growth and development than prayer. 
Other than the Bible, there's nothing else as much. You say, well, the church is better. The church isn't as important as your prayer life. You look at all those people in the Old Testament, and even in the New, many of them. They didn't have a church. They didn't have Bible talks. They didn't have disciple partners. They didn't have all that we have. But they are faithfully in the hall of faith. We have more than people had back in Jesus' day. You know what? Their prayer life alone helped them convince people that Jesus was the Son of God. We have the Bible and are sometimes scared to convince people Jesus is the Son of God. They didn't even have it written down like we had it. But through their life and their prayer life, they were able to help other people come to know Christ. Your prayer life alone can help somebody become a Christian. Because they say, well, I go to church. I was baptized here. I do this and that in my church. Okay, let's pray. Uh, God, uh, God, I know you're up there, God. And then you start to pray. And I say, wait, whoa, wait a minute. That's a little different. That's like you talking to somebody. Yeah, that's what a relationship with God is. It's not about going to church. It's about having a relationship with God. What the tap root is to the life and growth of a tree, prayer is to the spiritual life of a Christian. Now, a tap root in a tree or a plant, a tap root is the main root that goes down, and then there's little branches that go off from that. That's what a tap root is. It's the main, the thick one that goes down to there. Now, the deeper the tap root, the stronger and more stable that tree is going to be. Now, the Japanese introduced a tree into the world that's called a bonsai tree. And this tree is measured in inches instead of feet. Because once the tree started to grow in the beginning, the owner would dig it up and cut off the tap root, which stunted the tree and made it not mature and made it not grow. By cutting off that tap root, tying it up, that tree would get no more than a few inches high. And that's a full-grown bonsai tree just a few inches high. And that is exactly what Satan wants to do to each and every one of us. He wants to cut off that tap root, that thing that helps you go deeper. He wants you to have two or three friends, and that's all you're really going to need. He wants you to have just one little group that you associate with and not this whole big variety of culture and people. He wants you to be trapped in one little area and just, okay, let me just read this little Bible here, a verse a day, and that's all I'm going to do. He wants to cut off your tap root so you can't go deeper and you can't grow the way God wants you to. Now, God has said, I don't want no bonsai trees. God says, I want you to be a redwood. I want you to be one of the biggest trees ever. I want you to be humongous. In 2006, they found a redwood tree that was 379 feet tall. Now, you compare a little bonsai six inches to 379 feet tall because its tap root goes deep. How deep is your spiritual tap root? See, you know, I, I said sometimes I don't want to take it as joking, but just showing up late to church says your tap root is not very deep. I know there are situations and times that things occur that make us late. Absolutely. Totally. I understand that. But not every Sunday. You're not showing up for our midweek services or Bible talks. Your tap root isn't very deep. 
But but why? You can't judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm not. I don't even call you to say why weren't you there. I'm not judging you. See, that's between you and God. See, the times of somebody else judging you and watching over you like a hound dog, that's long gone. It's your journey to heaven or hell. I'm just trying to guide you in the right direction. But if you choose another, that's on you. We've got to understand how deep are your relationships with people. When you get together and and talk with people about your marriage, do you really talk about your marriage? Or are you talking about how the Steelers do it? How the Giants? Is that the name of the team here? The Giants? I can't remember. But sometimes we get together and we talk about so many other things, we don't really talk about helping each other grow. How deep are your relationships? Is it so surfacey? The only thing we talk about is Aquaman and Black Panther. Seriously? Neither one of them is going to get you to heaven. But I think we need to understand our taproot has got to go deeper in 2019. Look at what it says in James chapter 4, verse 2. James 4, verse 2 and 3. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because it's with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Listen, our taproot takes us past that surfacey, worldly stuff and takes us to the deep-rooted issues. We need to ask God, but our prayers will be answered if we're reading the Bible and we know God's will for our lives. Point number four. Now, let me give you two ways that Satan wants to hinder your prayers. Now, I'm telling you all this because I'm trying to help set us up for the next year. The first thing Satan's going to do, because right now we can all walk out and say, you know what? I'm going to start praying. I'm going to pray every day. You don't have to have an hour prayer a day. Just be consistent every day. Consistency is more important than the length of the prayers. Consistent quality. But this is what Satan's going to do. Satan will try to weaken our prayer life by appealing to our flesh, our body. What do you mean? I mean, when I say flesh, I mean that self-centeredness that all of us have. Don't even think you're not self-centered. We are all self-centered. Not me. I guarantee you, if I show you a picture and you're one of 15 people, you're going to scan till you find you and keep looking at you. You'll glance at everybody else, but you're going to see how you look in that picture because we're all self-centered. And everybody that didn't agree? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to say, I'm going to start praying. And one of the things Satan's going to do is say, you know what? You don't really feel like praying. You're kind of tired right now. Prayer is work, and you've been working all day. You don't need to keep praying. You don't need to keep working. So all of a sudden, we start singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Off to bed I go. (laughs) And we don't even pray. Because it takes too much work to get up and to go pray. Then we think, well, that's kind of a waste of time, because God hasn't answered all this, and he knows my heart anyway. You know how people always throw that in there, right? He knows my heart. And he know it ain't too good. 
But the body, Satan, will make you feel like it's just too much effort to wake up and pray or to stay up later and pray. You know what? I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. Look at what it says in Isaiah, middle of the Bible, Isaiah chapter 40. Prayer is not work and is not a waste of time. Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I'm too tired to pray. Maybe you need to pray to get some energy. Now, the second thing Satan's going to do to try to get you not to pray is Satan will try to weaken our prayer life by giving us a busy mind. You know, I like going on prayer walks, not in the cold, but when it's warm, I go on prayer walks. And I, I found myself one time, I was walking down, walking down the street, and I'm walking, I'm praying, and a truck drove by and it has something, some kind of cleaners thing on it. I don't even remember. And I thought, you know what, I got to get my clothes out the cleaners. And then when I go to the cleaners, I can just go by the grocery store and I can pick up this, 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 and that. And I'm about five blocks down, and all I did was get my clothes out the cleaners and make a grocery list. Because as I'm trying to pray, my mind just went somewhere else. I'm sitting there praying, and we all have those special ringtones that are do-do-do-do. That means text message just came in. And I'm sitting there praying, do-do-do-do. And I'm thinking, okay, who is that? Who is that? Should I get that right now? And then you try to justify it. If I get it, then I can pray for them. Um, let me see who that is. Um, what else is going on? And I'm sitting there praying, and I'm getting deep in the prayer, and all of a sudden, somebody, something happens. Anyway, my point is this. Those are called satanic interruptions. Why? Because Satan is interrupting your prayer life. You start to pray, and you start to think about all the things you have to do. You know how I broke out of that mode? When I started praying, I had a pen and a paper right next to me praying. And if I start thinking about something, just write it down and then get back to praying what I need to pray about. And that worked until I looked over and saw how big that list was. And then I thought, uh-uh, I ain't doing that no more. I'm going to keep focusing my prayer life. I ain't making no more lists. But I had to do something to get my mind just to focus back. But I felt like those things are so important. Well, then write them down and then get back to doing what you need to do. But Satan will throw interruption after interruption. And when I was a young Christian, and I, before I got married, I would be praying, and my roommates would interrupt. And you know what? I started getting attitudes. Like, Can't y'all leave me alone? You see the door closed. Just leave me alone. I mean, I ended up getting mad at my brothers in Christ as I'm praying to God. And I started thinking, how sinful and stupid is that? I'm praying, getting angry at somebody. I don't need to be praying for my own heart. It's called satanic interruptions. Man doesn't mean your kids or your spouse is Satan. <laughs> Don't go off on me on this one. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying Satan can even use your loved ones to interrupt your prayer time and turn you on them. You see, I'm finally praying. It's been a whole month and I ain't praying. Now you're jumping up in my 
buttercup biscuits and see what I'm doing. Leave me alone. Guys, we cannot have satanic interruptions. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Just so y'all know, I'm kind of... Thank you. It startled me because I almost had a non-Christian flashback. Thank you very much. I guess you can tell I'm getting wound up for a minute, huh? Because these sections right here are all into it. I'm, i got to work on this section over here before we can go. Because I ain't getting no response over here. Ain't that right, Felix Juan Zapata? <laughs> I don't know what you said. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then pray. Uh, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, we even sing a song. Shut the door, keep out the devil. Why? Because sometimes we need to shut the door on satanic interruptions. But honestly, guys, sometimes we just pray and we leave that door wide open for anything to interrupt us. We got to make some decisions about our prayer life. Second Corinthians chapter 10. This is my year ending sermon, so we're going to go a little bit longer. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five, it says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Satan, those those interruptions, you need to take them things captive. Either you write it down or you just say, get out of my head. Flee, Satan. Get away from me. Get behind me. And you get back focused on that taproot growing closer to God in your prayer life. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Oh, we're going to hit home on this one. Y'all there? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you for the gracious gift of life. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Brothers, you need to resolve things and treat her like the queen you thought she was as she was walking down that aisle. Because if you're not, no matter how much you say it, your prayer life is not good. If you are not treating your wife with respect and the love of Christ, you do not have a good prayer life. Or you have a prayer life that is deceived because you think it's great. But it's not being lived out in a great way. Very few amens. A whole lot of amen, brother. But it's funny that the Bible doesn't tell the woman that. Be nice or your prayer life. It doesn't say that, but it tells the men specifically. You need to treat your wives right or your prayer life will be hindered. I'm going to leave that one where it is. Matthew chapter 6. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. If you are bitter in your heart, you do not have a healthy prayer life. I've been preaching for almost a year and a half on resolving your relationship issues. If it's not resolved, you don't have a good prayer life. Well, I've been praying for them for a year and a half. That's the problem. You need to pray for you for a year and a half. Instead of praying for everybody else to change. We got to deal with who we are and not about changing everybody else around us. Here's another truth we need to consider about our prayer life. When it comes to praying, God deserves to get the best of our time. You know, back in the day when he went to the temple and he said, don't you ever bring me no one-eyed blind goat. Don't sacrifice that to me. You need to sacrifice something that is healthy and right, 100%. But yet, when we get up to pray in the morning, oh, God, thank you for this day. Oh, Lord. Mm. Honestly, sometimes we're the one-eyed goat praying to the Lord. Because we ain't even wide awake. We're going to lay there and pray through osmosis. Oh, God, I know you hear me talking to you. Sit. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. Sometimes we aren't presenting ourselves blameless before Christ. We get up. Oh, yeah. We just pray. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray in the shower or to pray in the car. That's not what I'm saying. But if that is your sole means of communication with the Lord, you are not giving him your best. My kids think it's crazy, but I'll get up. I got to brush my teeth before I pray. I don't want to talk to the Lord with bad breath. He don't need morning breath to talk to me. This ain't like in the movies they wake up, how are you? I love you. Oh, Lord, no. No, 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 no. We don't need to talk to God crestly fresh. Why? It takes energy to get up and do something so I can present myself good to the Lord when I talk to him. Some people don't want that energy to exert that energy. Let's just wait. I'll do it later on. Seriously, are you giving God your best in your prayer life? Now, some of us don't really even know how to pray. And I encourage you to get with other people that have been around a while to learn how to pray. Amen. You know, sometimes I pray at people and they say God's about 20, 30 times. God, thank you, God, for all God you give me, God. And God, I want you to know, God, that you are the greatest God ever. God, I love you, God. Okay, he knows who he is. That's like saying, Juan, you want a wine down to the wine store and then wine, we can go get some wine. And, and it, why repeat who he is over and over? Because we haven't understood it's a relationship. And in a relationship, you don't have to keep saying the person's name over and over and over because you just need to open your heart up to whoever he is. Now, let me close with this thought here. Satan doesn't want you to know it, but God really enjoys hearing your prayers. Satan wants you to think God is too busy. God has a whole universe to take care of. But it says in Philippians 4, 6, we are to pray about everything. John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
That doesn't sound like somebody who's saying, I'm tired of hearing prayers. Ask me for anything. Do it whenever you want. On all occasions. With that, that means he wants to hear your He's not too busy to hear your prayers. Ephesians 3.20, as we close out for this year. Ephesians 3. No matter what you're praying for, whether it's yourself, your family, your friends, finances, health, whatever it may be, remember this scripture as we close out. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is telling each of us, talk to me. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to me. He said, I want you to talk to me. And you know what? No matter how crazy or outlandish you think your prayer is, I can do more than that. You can't even imagine how many blessings I can give you. How how do you know that? Well, the Bible says, immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. So what's God's will for my life? It's so great, you can't even imagine it. You just have to go to God in prayer and see what God does. Guys, we end this in a great year. Let's start 2019 with a great year in the Word of God and in prayer. And to God be the glory. Amen.